All right, well, let's, let's try that then. <clears throat> um, we didn't quite finish up with what we were talking about last uh, several weeks, but we'll see if uh, Brother Keith will, will enlighten us on a couple of those things. And I just, it's not a subject that I'm studied up enough on. I mean, he can just rattle those events and dates and stuff off without looking them up. And uh, I liked history class, but when it came to dates, I, I didn't do very well with that. It seemed like that was always the question on the quizzes, and I, I'm not very good with dates and numbers. So uh, we'll, we'll take a break from that and go on to something exciting and uh, something new. Uh, let's, let's open up to the book of Revelation and chapter number one, if you will. And we are going to look at a little bit of history and prophecy rolled up into a study. How's that sound? Like that? That'd be good. Um, we kind of briefly studied through the book of Revelation one time. We just, we breezed through it. We took like, we didn't, we didn't get bogged down. We just flew through it real fast. And uh, we purposely skipped um, the study of the seven churches with the first three chapters of Revelation. And uh, I thought now would be a good time to go back and park and study those out a little clearer. And um, I think part of the reason... <clears throat> We kind of briefed over them because when we studied the book of Revelation, we were fairly, anybody remember that? We were fairly young, like maybe a year old. So I couldn't quite ask the question. I want you to think about this question. If you don't know what the seven churches of the, of the book of Revelation are, to, to, we're going to cover that tonight. And basically what uh, the book of Revelation is, if you don't know, and uh, Sometimes I often forget that a lot of us don't know, and, and you kind of got to start at the start at the one side and the other, and fill all the gaps in between. Just like when you're painting, right? You can't say, "Well, that's already blue, so we're just going to skip over here." No, we got to fill in all the spaces. So, uh, what the Book of Revelation is, of course, it's the revelation of uh, Jesus Christ, and it was given to the Apostle John, and uh, he was the youngest apostle. And after all the other apostles, boy, this would be a good study too. Um, after all the other apostles were killed, um, and that's, that's basically extra biblical information, but uh, it's really interesting when you look at all the apostles and, and their deaths. Um, most of them, all, all of them were martyrs except for John. Um, so John was the uh, only apostle that wasn't killed for his faith. Um, of course, there's some lots of extra biblical hearsay and whatnot and one of the stories is that the apostle john was uh, uh at one of the Colosseums. they tried to boil him to death boy doesn't that just sound lovely and uh they were unsuccessful at that <clears throat> so uh, which was a prison island I, I just sent you i just remembered it i sent you a, a map a picture of an image of a map so when we're looking at this we can kind of flash that up there and uh, see where, where we're talking about. So the Apostle John, as we see here in, in the first part of Revelation, um, well, let's just start with one. I, I hadn't planned on going to Revelation chapter number one, verse number one, but let's do that, and we'll get kind of a good grip here, and no sense in me explaining it because uh, the Bible does that well. So uh, Revelation 1, verse number one says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent this, signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and all the testimony of Jesus Christ and all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that heareth the words of this prophecy and keep those things which were written therein, for the time is at hand. So, hey, we're, we're getting a blessing just by reading this. So if you... Like, go to work tomorrow and say, yeah, we got a blessing at church. And it's not like a priest giving you a blessing over your motorcycle or your dog, but we just, we read the Bible. We got a blessing out of that. <clears throat> Verse number four, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, 
and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So um, John is basically saying who he received this revelation from, and it's Jesus Christ. He's the beginning, he's the end, he's the first, he's the last, and uh, he's the one that died to pay for our sins. And uh, he has been given dominion over everything. So we, we often think that this, uh, you know, we, we know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and, and that men of old were moved by the Holy Ghost and they penned these words. So it's not just what John thought would happen. But John was instructed to write these things down and Jesus is the one that's telling them. And in fact, um, if you've got a, a red-letter Bible, has anybody got a red-letter Bible? I don't know why this one's downstairs <clears throat> they uh, you'll see some red letter references in here and whenever this Christ with a direct quote from him um, verse number seven behold he cometh with cloud and every eye shall see him all which pierced him all kindred of the earth shall wait because of him uh, shall wail because of him even so amen I am alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, whom also am your brother and your companion in tribulation, and the kingdom and the repentance uh, uh, of Jesus Christ was at the isle which is called Patmos. There it is. He's telling us uh, his location. For the word of the Lord God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, uh, Smyrna <clears throat> unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake unto me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one, like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the floor, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet were like unto fine brass, as if they were burned in the furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had on his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write these things which thou hast seen, and the things which thou art, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven golden stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So you might read that, and if, if you're reading it for the first time, you might say, what in the world is that? But basically what we're getting, and this was in the twofer that we didn't get this morning, because a lot of times when these disciples, uh, John here, the apostle, the apostle Paul earlier, a lot of times when they are uh, seemingly swept up from this earth and into heaven and given a glimpse of things, they don't really, they have a hard time describing where they're at and what they're seeing. That's why I think we'll be surprised when we get to heaven because Paul said, on his heaven experience, he said, I, whether in the body or out of the body, whether on the earth, whether in heaven, I, I couldn't, he couldn't tell. So um, I think it's kind of just different. I, I can't describe it. I've never been to heaven. It may be, maybe I'll write a book about it someday and make a lot of money but I, if I understand it. But, so it's, it's, when we see these guys, it's hard, it's hard for them to express what they're experiencing. And the things that they're seeing, for us to read, it is, it is kind of out of this realm and it's hard for us to understand. Um, and and I, 
and I'm not going to pretend I understand it exactly or that I can say, oh, that's exactly what it is, because maybe some of these things are just God's way of showing these men to relay to us and give us a picture and a type that maybe they can understand. Because <clears throat> you have to remember, we're these guys are not supposed to be there yet, and maybe things don't work the way in heaven or in that dimension like they do here on earth, so it's kind of mind-blowing, if you will. <clears throat> but basically, he, he is seeing, and he knew what Jesus looked like, right? I mean, he walked around with him for three and a half years. So he says, I see the Son of Man standing in, the, in this midst. <clears throat> and he's described Jesus. And um, there again, we kind of get into this realm where uh, Jesus is God and Jesus is the flesh. And where does all that kind of translate into? Because we see, uh, we see in the book of Isaiah, we see an image and a picture of God with the train flowing through the temple and the white hair and the eyes of fire, and, and we're kind of seeing those two things. So uh, please don't ask me to differentiate or explain those two things because I, I can't. <clears throat> but I think we're seeing a, glim a glimpse of this. You know, he basically has the size and the form and the function of Jesus Christ. But if you carry that description over from the Old Testament, they, they interlap with the, the hair and the flames of fire. And um, then we see some uh, uh, types here uh, of his shoes being of brass. And, and as we've studied in the past, that, that brass in Scripture represents judgment. Um, and we see the white as purif purity, purification and purity. So we, we see those things drawn the line here. But we also see these seven golden candlesticks and seven stars and seven angels, and that's what we're going to kind of dive into. Um, I've heard this, this, is, this, this is nothing I came up with. I've got a book that I, I study a lot of these prophecy things with, and, um, and this study is in that book. I, I don't, typically don't bring it with me because it's a big old thing, and it's kind of falling apart. It's not that old a book, but I've worn it out. And... Um, <clears throat> The guy's name is Clarence Larkin. I don't know if anybody's heard of him. I've mentioned him in here before. And he was a, uh, a 19th century archi uh, not architect, um, engineer, 19th century engineer. So he, drew, he draws everything out. So he just has that mind. Sam probably understands that. You've got to have just a visual type person. So he draws everything out. And he draws these charts and everything and, and draws them out. And this, this study is, is one that he has. And I kind of held to this for a while. I, I kind of had this feeling of, you, you know, these seven churches, there's no doubt about them, and there's no doubt about the candlesticks, and there's no doubt about the angels of the church. And uh, we're not talking about angels with wings um, or halos. We're talking about the word angel in the Bible means messenger. So uh, uh, we're basically talking about the pastor of these churches, <clears throat> a human, fleshly, in-the-form pastor. So, gosh, who would be the angel at Harvest Baptist Church? Who would that be? Let me think. Who, who would that be? Vera is probably the only one that would say it. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> so uh, uh, he's saying, write these letters to these seven churches and send them to the letter. And Cody, if you got, did you find that picture? <clears throat> I'll show you the map here because these are seven literal churches in Asia. There's no doubt about that. There's nobody saying, I don't think that's true. And I stole this from somebody. I don't know. I just, I basically Googled uh, seven churches of Asia. And this was the clearest picture that I had. <clears throat> and you can see that it's laid out on this map. Um, Asia Minor, and that's Greece over there. And of course, we've got Israel down here to kind of put you in. And, and then here's Syria that we hear about on the news and Iraq and so forth. So we're talking about this Middle East region. <clears throat> and now this is, this is important because there is a little bit of dispute about when the book of Revelation between certain people was written. Um, John was the youngest apostle. Um, he, he was the beloved, and he was the youngest apostle. And uh, some will say that the book of Revelation was written around 60 A.D. And here's why they say that. Because if the book of Revelation was written around 60 A.D., and lots of the things that are described in the book of Revelation, <clears throat> they'll carry that over to 70 A.D. in, in, Israel, in Jerusalem. 
to the when the city when the town was besieged by the Romans that that was the book of Revelation that it was fulfilled. Well, if you've ever read the book of Revelation, yeah, it was it was horrible and graphic and and the 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 just number and the mass of people that was killed in Jerusalem in the besiege of the Roman Empire in 70 AD, they they used they put the bodies on crosses and lit them and lit up the streets. Millions, millions and millions of Jews were were slaughtered. Um, but you don't see the water turning to blood. You don't see locusts coming and destroying everything. You don't see a third of the earth burned up. You don't see all of those things. <clears throat> so the general majority census is that the book of Revelation was written somewhere around 90 A.D., and I tend to agree with that for my Bible college studies. <laughs> I have none, but I, I think that fits. And if that's the case, we're talking about 60 years after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So we go to Asia, which if you remember, we've studied the, the journeys of Paul. Paul went through this area and established these churches. Uh, he's the one on his second and third evangelistic trip, went this way and established these churches in this area. <clears throat> so it fits with that. So we're looking about these churches would be uh, 40 years old. Seems old when we're only four, doesn't it? We're talking about 40-year-old churches. So um, Jesus Christ is telling John to write this stuff down and send them from his island that he's on, which I can't quite remember where it's at on this map. I think it's around here somewhere. Um, to, to write this stuff down and then send it to these seven churches and basically tell them what's good and what's bad. So that is the <clears throat> literal, non-disgruntled, anything information about that. And we're going to look at that. And we're, kind of, we're not going to spend seven weeks, I don't believe, on this. I don't think there's any need to. So as we, uh, we cover these next <clears throat> two chapters, that's what we're going to be looking at. These seven literal churches in Asia, literally, at John's time. Now here's the interesting thing about that. Now, here's where it's Sunday night. You've got to put your thinking hat on. I want you to help me a little bit. Were there only seven churches in Asia? You say no. What, can you name some other ones? Ooh, it's, it seems hard, but it's not that hard if you think about it. Yep. Yep. There you go. Good job, Wyatt. Antioch. True Baptist right there. He's Baptist brighter. <laughs> Antioch. <laughs> that was a joke for anybody listening online. Yep, Antioch. That, that's, a, that's a good one. Did I write them down? I thought I wrote some down. Well, just start going through the books of your Bible. What do you got? You got the Church of Corinth, right? That was there. It's not listed here. Uh, you got, what about Philippi? Got the Church of Philippi. Uh, Ephesus is on there. That's where we get the book of Ephesus. Uh, how about, uh, how about uh, Ephesus, Ephesians? Uh, <laughs> uh, how about uh, Colossi? That's, that's, that's a, a church that we, we hear about. And then there's some tougher ones that, yep, Corinth. Um, and then there's some tougher ones like uh, some that are just mentioned a few times like uh, yeah, I can't even, <laughs> their names, and I'm bad with names. But <clears throat> So they're, they're basically the gist of that is there's more than these churches that are mentioned. And my thought was, is, is always kind of been this, because there's two ways of looking at this and teaching this. And um, <clears throat> why was it just these churches that he wrote these letters to? Why just these? We know the church at Corinth, was that a good church, a holy just righteous church no they were awful church in fact they had they got two letters so uh we we know that um it wasn't just these seven churches that had either good points or some things that they needed to prove on or both um and, and that's what we're going to look at as we go through this but here's the interesting thing about it and you may or may not know this or agree with this or disagree with this I was on the fence for some years about this, um, but I've 
studied this out since then, and, and I kind of come back and agree with uh, most people about this, that as we study these seven churches, you'll see a timeline of church history. Now, we, I don't know that we've ever talked about church history here. I don't think we ever even even really mentioned church history. But here we are, 2017, <clears throat> Jesus Christ came in 30 AD, so there's some church history there. Um, I, I think a lot of the reason we don't teach and talk about church history is because, A, it's extra biblical, uh, B, how is it true, what's not true. Um, you know, a lot of these things we just have to uh, trust man in and not, and not the scriptures. So that's kind of one of the reasons I'm not real big into church history. But as we see these seven churches, we kind of see a pattern um, with um, church history in the past as far as a whole in a realm. Now, one, I'm trying to explain this without giving it away. I don't think there's any way to do that. <clears throat> so as we study through these seven churches, we'll see seven distinct um, biblical patterns as far as what churches fall you know, I, I talk a lot about modern Christianity. <laughs> that would be like a, a seventh church age. Um, the Christianity that we think about today. Uh, what is popular? Now, just because that's popular doesn't mean that there's different groups within them, just like we're looking at here. You know, these seven different churches had different seven different distinctions, but that doesn't mean that they were all as a whole in the same. Because as we, we look at this study, we'll see, like the church at Philadelphia... And some preachers will say that's the age that we're living in now, possibly swinging into the age of Laodicea. So I think we have this mindset that when one age stops, then another begins. Well, you look at the Philippines, and they're far from the Laodicean church. So, and if this sounds a little weird, it'll kind of make more sense in the next couple of weeks. <clears throat> but let's look at this. Mark chapter number 7. And when I came across this verse... I don't know when it was. It kind of stuck with me. I wasn't really studying for anything. I think I was just reading my Bible or listening to it or, or what. Mark chapter number 7, verse number 6 and 7. <clears throat> because as we read about these seven churches in Revelation, they are seven literal churches. Things are happening. Their attitude is happening when Jesus Christ is telling John to write to them. Well, we get to Mark here, and we have Jesus talking about uh, Isaiah. And uh, maybe that's when I was looking at this. In verse number 6, He answered and said unto them, Well, has Isaiah the prophet prophesied unto you hypocrites, as it was written, as it is written, The people honoreth me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines, and the commandments of men. So this was written hundreds of years before Jesus Christ by the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus is using that as prophecy of his time. He said, isn't this exactly what Isaiah was writing about? Isaiah said that your hearts would be far from me, that you would worship me with your lips, and here we are. Well, if you look at that and study that in Isaiah, the same thing was happening in Isaiah's time. So it's, it's a current situation for Isaiah plus a prophecy that Jesus Christ is pulling out of this Old Testament scripture and saying, here we are, this is it. So when I came across that one day, I thought that's exactly what the seven churches of Revelation are. They are a current time when, the, when John was writing Revelation, but yet us looking back at that, those current situations can happen today. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm not getting any good reads. <laughs> Maybe you're thinking the wheels are turning. <clears throat> so we see that, that in, in 90 AD, there was seven literal current conditions of churches, and here we are almost 2,000 years later looking in the rearview mirror, and we see a pattern of history of these churches. Now, do you think that was relevant to John at the time? He didn't have a clue that that was prophecy. He was just writing seven letters to churches. Maybe even in 100 A.D. when they were looking at those writings. It, it didn't come across to them. Or maybe even in 500 A.D. when they were looking back and, and compiling Scripture. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to them at the time either. But now with us, 2,000 years later, we read about these seven churches and we look in the rearview mirror and they fit form and fashion just perfect 
a church history profile. And um, <clears throat> why is that important? Well, I think as we kind of study through these, you'll see that the number's up, like there's no more left. <laughs> but here's what's interesting about it. There's not a specific, okay, 320 A.D., that's when we stop here and we pick up here. There's not that distinction. It's just kind of a pattern through history. And we can even see a lot of these churches' problems existing in churches today. So it's not like a definitive calendar or thermometer that we can look at and say, oh, that one passed and here, here we go. Just like these seven churches that were then, there was kind of overlapping problems. We all on the same page. Good. <laughs> so let's look at... Let's look at chapter number 2, verse number 1. And we'll look at the condition of these churches. And then, I don't know how far we'll get this week. I really don't have an outline. We're just going to go kind of as far as we... Oh, there's my list. Thessalonica, Colossae, Galatia, Corinth, and Philippi. We covered all them to the extent. That was easy. Verse number one, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write. <clears throat> so he's saying, John, write to basically the pastor of the church. Write, write to the preacher. He's the angel. Write to him. We're not talking about a fluttery winged angel in heaven that's going to fly down and deliver this message. We're, we're, talking, about, we're talking about the messenger, the, the, the preacher, the one that's to, to report to the church. So that preacher knows what the problem with the church is. How old are we again? Do you think we have any problems at this church? Ooh, man. Here's what I want you to think about as we're studying this. Because I think, it's kind of been brought to my mind with some other things that have come up, that... Whoever it is, if they tell, what, what's the old saying? If, if you tell a lie long enough, it'll stick as truth. <laughs> and I see a lot of that happening in our day and age, that we tell these little lies long enough, and if we tell them long enough and loud enough, they'll stick. I'm a realist. I, I love this church. This is, the best, this is the best church I've ever attended. But do we have problems? Yeah, we probably do. Every church has problems, and the one that says they don't are liars. And if we avoid problems, how can we ever fix them? I kind of I look at the attitude of these, these pastors. Like, I, I've been thinking about this for the last... Eh, we were going to study this a ma, the last time when we ended something. So I, I've been studying this for a while. And I thought, let's put myself as the angel of these churches, and I get this letter from the Apostle John, how would I take it? Would it be apparent? Would it be like, oh, somebody else knows. Where'd this come from? Oh, it came from Jesus, from John? Gigs up. Or would I puff up and swell up and be like, nuh-uh, we don't have that. Nuh-uh, that's not us. Well, if, 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 if we take that attitude about things, how are we ever going to fix it? And I'm not saying our problems are apparent. I'm just saying every church has problems. And if a church says they don't have problems, then they can never fix the problems. Make sense? Um, it's the same way, not just with churches, but families. If, if our family, if we say, nope, we're perfect in every aspect and every way, and we're not willing to look at ourselves and to, uh, what's the Bible say, examine ourselves, and if we're not willing to examine ourselves, we'll never fix problems in our family. Same way in our workplace. If our workplace is not willing to examine and look for problems, isn't that what the, they have a position in most workplaces, and that guy's name is quality control. And it's his job to look for problems and to bring those problems to the forefront and say, hey, this is a problem. We need to fix this. So I think with us as a church, if we just say, nope, we're perfect in every aspect and every way, then we're deceiving ourselves and we're being foolish. So I want us to think about, and I don't want, <laughs> if, I, if, if you create a list of 25 or 30 things, then that's bad. But I, I know that there's going to be some problems that we have. And I don't think it's very wise for us to just say, nope, we don't have any problems and just go on with life. Well, what will that do for us? Um, I, 
Is that, is that beneficial? No. So here these churches are getting these reports, and some of them have problems, and some of them don't, and some of them are so far gone that Jesus is disgusted sick with them. So I think we'll see that. Ooh. wonder how many crashes are on average on this weekend every year. Okay, verse number one. Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. So remember, that's Jesus. Who walketh in the midst of the seven candlesticks, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which uh, say the, the apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience for my name's sake, and hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of, this, out of his place, except thou repent." But this thou hast, and thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And, hath, uh, and that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So, there's our first church of Ephesus. Did anybody catch their problem? What was their problem? They lost, they left their first love. Now, do you think that was their high school sweetheart? You think that was their high school sweetheart? <clears throat> Here, here's what our first love is, and I've said this before. And I, I remember saying it one time. I can't remember who it was. It might have been a visitor, but they give me the weirdest look. I, do you guys know I read you while I'm preaching? <laughs> it gave me the weirdest look. I said that a lost person is incapable of love. And you might think, no, that's not true. I, I, I've, got, I've, got a, I've, I've got a lost cousin, and they just love everybody. Here, here's what I mean by that. Lost people, they don't know what true love is. They may think. They may think they know what love is. But what did Jesus say true love is? That a man will lay down his life. And until you understand what's, what saved you, what brought you to salvation until you get a grip and an understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ I don't think you'll have a good understanding about what love is and as Christy said this weekend puppy love what is puppy love it's unconditional love that Jesus Christ loves us unconditionally and lost people they don't have that concept of unconditional love they don't have that concept of sacrificial love they, they don't know what that is. So when you get saved and you understand the Bible, understand the Scripture, understand salvation, who's your first love? Sh who, who's your first love? This is, should be easy, I hope. Maybe here's our number one problem. <laughs> it, it should be Jesus Christ. That should be your first love. You, when you realize who loved you while you were yet sinners and, and who died for you was Jesus Christ. So we see that this church of Ephesus had a lot of stuff going for them. Now, now I've got in my Bible, I have somewhat against thee. He's not real happy with them because they left their first love. What does that mean? Let's, let's draw this out in a church situation. You've been saved for 30 years, and maybe some of these people at this church have. I mean, we're talking about a church that's 50, 60 years old. Uh, yeah, 50, 60 years old, and they've just focused so much on Christianity. They've heard the gospel every week. They've gotten letters from Paul, and now they're getting letters from John. They know the Old Testament inside out. They know everything, but what have they done? They've, they've grown cold to their love with Jesus Christ. The excitement and the zeal is gone. Isn't, isn't that what it's like when you're, you're teenagers and you're dating and you're, you, you know, this, that, and the other, and and after 17 years, I'll say, I enjoyed my weekend this weekend, so I, I think she still loves me, I think. <laughs> but
but sometimes we forget that, don't we? Because we've got five kids that are arguing all the time and they don't do what they're told and they this, that, and the other. And sometimes we, we kind of leave that first love because we're so busy with everything else. And I think that's what happened to the church of Ephesus. They became so busy with church stuff that they forgot what church was even all about in the first place. That's a good question. I, I think he probably shared it. I think he said, hey, um, the, I just got this letter, just, just like I did this morning. Hey, look, I just got this letter from the Women's Center. But it wasn't like a happy, joyous. It was like, hey, gigs up. You know, Jesus Christ talked to John when he was on the Isle of Patmos, and this is what it says. So he, I, I believe he, he read this to the congregation. I mean, if, I think if he was a good pastor, he would. That's why it's calling him a messenger because he's or an angel because he's a messenger. So yeah, I think he probably stood up from the pulpit. Now I think we, we sometimes we just think this is what church is like, and we just picture this. I think they probably just met at somebody's house potentially or or whatnot. And and we'll look at some of these as we go through church history. A lot of these were in hiding uh, later on. Now. And even these guys, too, we're talking about Roman Empire and, and that whole map. So, I mean, they weren't just, like, putting out road signs. Hey, we're having a fall day. Come on out, y'all. No, they, they weren't doing that. I mean, they were kind of in hiding. So, um, But I, I believe that the pastor stood up and read this letter and said, Hey, uh, Jesus Christ said we have lost our first love. And if we don't, did you catch the word it said in there? And if we don't, repent. And if we don't repent, he's basically going to snuff our candle out. <clears throat> We're going to be disassembled somehow. God's going to shut the doors, scatter us abroad, or whatever. Now, here's extra biblical account. Uh, this church at Ephesus can't be found anywhere after 100 A.D. That's kind of depressing <laughs> that they got a letter from Jesus Christ and he said that if they didn't repent and didn't do these things, he was going to snuff out the candle. And according to man's history, extra biblical, we can't find them elsewhere in history. So that's kind of sad. <clears throat> so that was the bad part, and that's a pretty bad part. You left your first love. Um, we have to be careful of that, <clears throat> that we don't lose our excitement and our love for Jesus Christ. You know, I, I, I can see it with new Christians they, they kind of get excited, and then they kind of fit in with everybody else and just get kind of dull and boring, <laughs> right? I mean, that, that's kind of what happens in the Christian walk. You get saved, you get all excited, and then you get all kind of, let's just act like everybody else, and we're just here at church. Kind of just kind of the way it is. <clears throat> and, and I see that from us from time to time. I, um this morning, I mean, I just, I got up from the pulpit and I'm like, we just, we need some excitement. We need to, and, and kind of, like I said, when I'm preaching, I'm reading and I, I kind of feed off of that. Like sometimes we have good weeks and sometimes we have not good weeks. And, and a lot of times that could be me. I mean, I haven't slept good in, I don't know how long. My wife just keeps waking me up in the middle of the night, every night. I don't know what it is. So a lot, it could be me. I, I mean, I set the tone. I'm the mouthpiece, and, you know, I'm supposed to be the angel and the messenger. So, I mean, uh, it, it could be me. I, I kind of have that attitude where I probably take blame more than I should sometimes, but I would rather take blame than shove it off and blame somebody else. <clears throat> so it, it could be that, um, that and just busyness of life. I know we're all busy. Is anybody bored ever? Who is that? Is that one of mine? Yeah, we'll fix that. <laughs> Bored and the preacher's kid hand goes up. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, and I know that. We're all busy. We're all going everywhere and we just come to church and we're just like, oh, let's just, let's just get our time in and get out of here. Anybody ever just feel like that? Like, oh, let's just go so... So that next week when the preacher says, where were you Sunday night? Or, hey, we don't have to feel guilty. 
I, I feel that sometimes. Uh, we're just tired. We're just busy. <clears throat> you know, I said this a couple weeks ago in a message, you'll devil, if he can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And I think that's, that's a lot of our problems. We're just busy and we, we lose focus on our first love. Somebody, shoot, I was going to write it down. If you don't have a hunger for Jesus Christ, you're too full of yourself. I thought, well, I'd have to write that down. That'd be a good message, wouldn't it? If we don't have a hunger for Jesus Christ, we're too full of ourselves. So there you go. That was their, that was their problem. That seems to be uh, a pretty big problem. Look what he's saying in verse number 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen... And repent and do the first works or else I will come to thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of this place except thou repent. He's basically saying, hey, it's time for, it's time for a revival. I've had people, uh, friends of mine who go to other churches and stuff and they've said, hey, when are you guys going to have a revival so that we can come to your church? And I'm like, we're not dead yet. <laughs> That's what revival means. It means to be made alive, and you know they, they wonder when we're going to have some... You know, I should probably take offense to that, shouldn't I? Hey, when are you going to have some fiery preacher come in so we can come to your church and enjoy it? I, I, guess, I, just now, I just now thought of that, like, huh, I guess I should take offense to that next time one of them asks me that. Why? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, why should I take offense to that? Hey, yo. <clears throat> but uh, I, I often say that we're not dead yet. We don't need to be. We don't need to be revived. We're we're not dead yet. But I don't know. Are we Are we alive? Are we? What's the old saying? A church alive is worth a drive. It's a good saying, isn't it? So that's that's the thing. And he's saying, remember from whence thou art fallen. And I do that a lot. I, I think I try to in my preaching to to remind us from the pit that God saved us from. Does that not help you? You know, to think about the road you were on, what your position, your future position would have been if Jesus Christ hadn't come into your life. How, share with me a little bit. How, how would your life... I remember I, was, I went to a camp with uh, uh, some young boys and I asked them that question. Just, to, just as these young boys, to kind of help them appreciate their salvation, I said, I, I, want you to pick, I want you to draw this picture in your mind. Yourself in 20 years with Jesus Christ and yourself in 20 years without Jesus Christ. And, and draw that picture in your mind. So I want you guys to do that now. I want you to, maybe some of you not 20 years, maybe you can back that down. <laughs> but I, I want you to picture yourself... Liston just got it. <laughs> I want you to picture yourself now with Jesus Christ, and then I want you to picture yourself where you would be in another realm or another universe without Jesus Christ. What's, what's the differences? Somebody, somebody's got to help me. Sure. Huh? Inner peace, yeah. Now versus, versus then, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, Wade. <laughs> huh? So you'd be a sinner without Jesus? I cannot imagine what that would be like, son. <laughs> I can't imagine. But you're right. Very good. That's true. That's what I think of myself. Like, <clears throat> we're driving down here today and to church tonight, and my wife said, man, there's that truck again. We should just go get it. <laughs> of course she was joking but hey without Jesus Christ we might be like hmm how can we do that <laughs> I just bring the truck and trailer down here tonight we'll just do that you'd have a boat he'd be out there in his uh, speedos on his boat <laughs> yeah I'm I'm uh, <laughs> I mean that's that's I mean that's you know what would what would hold me back what, you know with without conviction and without the Holy Ghost and without you know yeah let's just, let's just sneak down here tonight when nobody's around we'll just load that truck up and we'll steal it. <laughs> well, pro yeah, it's true. 
yeah, we'd be we'd be like one and one and done. <laughs> None, yeah. I mean, really, we went a we went a long time. Look, we've been married seventeen years, and our oldest is twelve. And and really, that was just selfish. That's what that was. And now we just want to go back to that selfish state. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, that's, isn't that something to think about? You know, think about where, where would you be? What would your life be like? And I remember this one boy, I don't remember who he was, but he, he, he gave kind of, and I don't know where his mind was going, but it could be true. He said, he said in 20 years, he said, with, with Jesus Christ in my life, he said, I see, he said, I see my wife and my kids, and we're at church and we're serving the Lord. And he said, and without, he said, I see myself. And he, he drew the picture out. He's like, I see myself. I think he might even describe his clothes, but basically what you would think of a slob laying on a couch on a Sunday morning was basically what he described. And the way he described it for a 12-year-old or whatever he was, I thought, wow, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's, that's true. He, he pictured and he told us about a Sunday morning with, with Christ in his life and without. And, and one, everything was just rose petals and flowers and he'll, he'll learn. And then, then the other one was just a slob on the couch with a dirty stained shirt, and and I thought, hmm. And I, I remembered that 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 was what he pictured him his life without, and that's what uh, John's or Jesus is telling him. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Hey, re- remember your position before and your position now <clears throat> is what he's saying. Disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. And then look in verse number six. But <laughs> this thou, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. I had this was an interest. This word just came up. Uh, we had a we had a, a a lady and her daughter visit here a couple weeks ago, and I was outside talking to them and. Um, she was asking me about my um, biblical education, and I didn't even make a snide remark. I just said, ma'am, I, I don't have any formal biblical education. She said, hmm, interesting. And I think it was, I think it was on the fallen angels, that message, which that one is, I think it was. It was, it was on uh, Genesis chapter number 6. That, that message would make anybody, low. where did you learn all this crazy stuff at? So it, it was on that message. We're talking outside, and I said, ma'am, I don't have any. And she said, hmm. And then she asked an interesting question. She said, well, well how do you feel? What do you feel about the Hebrew and the Greek? Uh, and we've studied that. And I just said, well, ma'am, I, you know, I believe that I speak English. And God gave me an English Bible that I don't have to go and learn and understand the Hebrew and Greek to understand the Bible. I said, it's a common man's book. And then, big old smarty, uneducated pants man like I am, (laughs) I said, well, Jesus himself said that he hated the doctor of the Nicolaitans, and I thought, oh, how am I going to get myself out of this? Does anybody know what, what Nicolaitans are? Well, if you go back to the Greek, (laughs) if you go to the Greek, Nicolaitans means this. How how many of you has got, anybody got Nike tennis shoes on? Everybody had to look. Seriously, everybody had to look. Every one of you looked. <laughs> How many of you have cowboy pants on or cowboy boots on? Every, I'm serious. Every one of you had to look. What have I got on? <laughs> Cody's got Nike tennis shoes on. That word Nike comes from the word Nico, means to conquer. So when they came up with the name for their tennis shoe, and Nike came from that word to conquer. Um, we got a letter here at the church, uh, and I was just reading it before service, and it was ad- addressed to me, and it said, bring some of your laymen. What's a layman? Who's unlearned? Unlearned. <laughs> unlearned, and I thought, that's me. <laughs> I'm the layman here. Well, lay- layman means just like normal people, unlearned, laity, the laity. Nico, laity, to conquer 
the average person. Do you know what the scribes and the Pharisees were? They were Nicolaitans. You had to go to them to get what the Bible says. They were Nicolaitans. And I'm talking to this lady, and I said, well, you know, Jesus says himself that he hates the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And I thought, oh, how am I going to get myself around this without giving her the stinking Hebrew and the Greek? And I said, which Nicolaitans means to conquer the laity with their intellect and their knowledge and their wisdom and their understanding that the normal person doesn't have. So when some preachers say, well, if you go to the Hebrew and the Greek, what, what that is, that's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Because if you didn't go to church, you wouldn't have quite the understanding of, of what that means. Interesting. So even though they left their first love, they didn't like that attitude about it. So, um, um, and I think, I think I have to be careful. I've got a preacher friend of mine, and he's not Bible educated either. And I've heard him say this, that if un-Bible college taught guys, if we're not careful, we'll take a little bit of pride in our, well, I didn't go to Bible college, so this is this. And, you know, them, them that go to Bible college, they're just getting filled up on junk and smaz and stuff. So, you know, I have to be careful not to have that attitude like I'm better because, you know, the world looks at me as lesser <clears throat> because I don't have that Bible education. Um, but this book is written to where anybody can understand it that's saved. And if you have somebody that tries to stand in front of you and say, you can't understand this unless you understand the Hebrew and the Greek, or unless you understand the finer points of Jewish dogma, or unless you understand the Talmud, or unless you understand this, or unless you understand that. And this is becoming a big movement in some modern Christian circles is just that, studying those ancient Jewish books. And you have to understand this book before you even have a clue what Christianity is talking about. And that's nothing more than the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So <clears throat> apparently that's all we're going to get tonight. <laughs> and, and, so they left their first love. But the good thing that they had going for them was that they hated the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And, and we'll see this same doctrine of the Nicolaitans come up through this church history as we look at, excuse me, look at it, because it happens today. We talked this morning about um, um, uh, Jesus as our intercessor. <clears throat> well, if you put me, your priest, as the intercessor, what have I done to the laity, you have to come to me to intercede to you with God. So I've, you've been give, I've been given power over you because I'm the intercessor. So we, we'll see that in, uh, I don't know, I don't know how many weeks it's going to take. Two chapters, that's it. We can't get through two chapters in a couple weeks. <clears throat> Any thoughts and comments and questions on that?